0: As Paul has gone off stage, I'll go ahead and d- dismiss our uh, youth. Uh, if you're in grades five through 12, um, our uh, youth uh, meet with their leaders at this point. So uh, go ahead and have a great morning. Thanks for being in here with us. Um, For the rest of you, Uh, we're going to get into our time of teaching. My name's John. I'm our lead pastor here in Discovery. Uh, Really glad that you're here on this uh, President's Day weekend, this Valentine's Day, Um, whatever this day means to you. Glad that you're here. Um, We are, like we said, next week going to start our discipleship series. Today we are talking about uh, life in the church. Um, And so we're in a short two-week series that is loaded with content. Um, I'm kind of pouring it out here. Um, Just in these two weeks, we did this last week. Um, And today we're gonna wrap up um, these two weeks. We're gonna start in the uh, New Testament book of Hebrews. If you have your Bible, uh, you can go ahead and turn there or you can open up your uh, device and and, uh, find a Bible app there. Um, If you need a Bible, put up your hand. Um, We're gonna be going through several scriptures. Want everybody to have a Bible. Um, So this is our gift to you if you don't have a Bible. Um, We don't just want to uh, tell you stuff on Sunday morning. We want you to be able to go and to study God's Word discuss it in discovery groups, um, or be able to read and look at these scriptures on your own. So if you need a Bible, put up your hand. One of our ushers uh, will bring you one. Um, Last week, we talked about the question of what is the church, and then we began looking at how the church uh, is organized. We talked about uh, the fact that the church is not um, really, it's not a building that we come to. Um, It's not uh, just a program, a a couple hours on a Sunday morning or a group that we go to. Really, the church at the heart of it all is uh, the people. We looked at this incredible verse in Ephesians 2 that talked about uh, Christ coming and and drawing us um, from both near and far. So uh, whether we were people who grew up in the church or or whether we kind of lived a life, never been to church, uh, the gospel, the good news of Jesus brings us together, uh, gathers us together into the household of God. That's what the Bible calls the church. One of the the metaphors is the household of God that brings us together from near and far. Uh, In fact, there's an awesome verse in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2 that says, as you come to him, as you come to Jesus... You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. It's not that we're actual bricks that are being put together, but we are. uh, Get this metaphor. A spiritual house being built up. It says, you are a chosen race of royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people. Once you were were scattered, lost, wandering, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So whenever we talk about the church, I know that we are always talking about the people, people that have been redeemed by Christ out of sin and out of brokenness and given new life, those who are living by the power of the Spirit, those of us who are instructed by God's Word that we are living for God's glory, that we are advancing His gospel to a people that are yet to come to know Christ, that are yet to come into this household of God that we have been part of. Um, So we're not just individuals, um, but we're on a journey as God's people together, those who have been saved by grace the gospel brings us together, and the gospel holds us together. Uh, it's very important to know that. that the gospel brings us together, but then also that the gospel holds us together, because we're not perfect when we come to Jesus. And we're not perfect even after coming to Jesus. Uh, we are continually guided, held together by Christ, the, the cornerstone. Jesus Christ, cornerstone. Uh, we sing this song, um, and uh, I don't know, I grew up as a son of a block mason, and so I, I know this. The first thing that's set in place is uh, the cornerstone. And everything else is guided off of that. If, if that's not a solid foundation, then everything else goes crooked. And so we as a church, as a people being built up into the house of God, are continually looking back to Christ. Because as we come together, different people, right? We're diverse people, diverse ages, diverse backgrounds, diverse preferences, diverse temperaments, personalities. All of our diversity and differences, we bring them with us. Okay, so not just, uh, not just sin and, and past uh, shame and guilt that we sometimes still hold on to, but we bring our very real differences. And so sometimes as we come together, um, we like to um, think about our own personal preferences. And so as we come together, um, just take worship, for example. Okay, the, if we were to go through, uh, there's probably all different opinions. Some of us would like to sing a few more hymns. Some of us would like to be a little bit quieter. Maybe others would like it a little bit louder, a little bit faster. Hey, we'd like uh, you know, a bigger band, a smaller band. Uh, we'd like all these different things. And if we're brought together by music style, um, there's no way we're sticking together. Or, or take discipleship that we're going to be talking about. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to talk about what discipleship looks like. And if you came from a church background, you may have all different ways that that looks like. That looks like ha- having coffee with another uh, guy once a morning or once a week. Um, and, uh, or maybe it looks like Sunday school. You grew up in, in uh, a church that had Sunday school. Um, we talk about groups here. Uh, So when we talk about discipleship, we all have different preferences, things that we've uh, learned. If we're driven by them, then we're wrong. Uh, Take uh, social justice, which it's biblical that we need to be uh, a people about social justice, being the hands and feet of Christ. But depending on our backgrounds, even depending on our different races and ethnicities, uh, we may see social justice through a very different lens, And so if we are driven by that, we will always be driven apart. But no, it is not. It is the gospel, Jesus Christ, the grace that we have experienced in him that holds us together. Where in Christ, we lay aside personal preferences and we come together to be more than we are in ourselves or more than our preferences, to be not just about our individual desires, but about the whole that Christ has planned for us. And as the gospel, is the grace of Christ that brings us together, we have received grace. And so we are able to extend grace. And this is the church. We are a household of God's grace. The church must be a household of God's grace. Now, Let's think about this kind of idea about a household a little bit, okay? There's several scriptures, Ephesians 2, 1 Peter 2, 1 Timothy 3, 15, uh, that specifically call the church the household of God. Now, we grasp household, if we kind of take it to a place where uh, most of us w- would resonate, okay, we understand we, we have families, we either grew up in a household or we have a household. Uh, I have a household that includes six people, me, my wife, and uh, our four uh, children. Now, we know, right, that the household is more than just the house that we live in. It's the people that are together, um, was able to experience this uh, in a very vivid way. Um, uh, two years ago, I was granted a, a sabbatical by the church after uh, serving for, for eight years, was given three months to, to go and to reflect and refocus and, and just be uh, filled back up with Jesus. And, and one of the um, uh, one of the things my family decided to do was we went on this road trip um, across the entire uh, United States, 10,000 miles we put on our minivan, okay? Loaded our four kids uh, into this minivan, drove uh, everywhere around the country. Now, um, you could picture that that could lead to a lot of chaos, right? I mean, just let, you, let your mind go wild with what you want it to, uh, to look like. Okay, but we knew setting out for a household to experience not only a successful trip where we didn't uh, kill each other along the way, or that we actually came back with all four of our children still with us, Um, more than just that, that we actually experienced something in our, our family, a journey that we would look back on that would be transformational in our lives, that there would need to be some organization, I'm so thankful for, for my wife because for those of you who have taken like a 500-mile road trip, um, like uh, DVDs can last you for about 500 miles, but we knew for 10,000 miles we were going to need, you know, more than just pop in a couple, couple movies to, to keep things moving. And so my wife put together these amazing schedules and there were even, uh, they, the kids got clips on the dashboard that if they, uh, that if they were acting up. Um, acting up towards one another or, or not listening well, they knew that if they moved, lost that clip that um, it wasn't gonna be the experience that they wanted it to be. And, and uh, uh, so, so my wife did this incredible thing and then I was able to plan out the trip um, and we saw, we saw all kinds of amazing things along this trip, experienced them together from one place to another. Uh, but you can imagine that along that trip, Um, There were a lot of different preferences coming out um, from each one of us, okay? There was every time that we needed to stop to eat, okay? Where was it going to be? And there were all these different uh, preferences that would come out. But we knew that there had to be some level of organization leading us forward in order to uh, experience, to bring us safely, for us to get everything out of that trip that we wanted to and that we expected, Now, God as well for his household has a purpose that he desires us to accomplish together. He has a journey that we are on, a journey that uh, as we travel this road and come with all our differences and all our uh, various preferences, um, that pretty quickly those differences could come in and clash. Pretty quickly on this journey, um, we could Devolve into chaos. I mean, if you take a minivan full of six people, imagine as we uh, come together, 400 of us, with all the differences that we are, all the differences that we got, that there needs to be some level of organization, some level of planning to lead us forward in this journey because God has a purpose for His church. God has a purpose for you in His church. He wants you to experience something along this journey, the experience of the gospel. He wants us together to glorify him and to advance him more than we could in and of ourselves. And so God in his sovereign wisdom and understanding has given organization to his household, the church. Now, this is kind of one of those places where as we get into talking about church organization and structure this morning, may kind of be like, oh man, this is not gonna be very fulfilling. I mean, we showed up here this morning with very real needs on our hearts, right? Very real concerns that you wanted some practical uh, advice for. Um, but, but here's what we wanna know. Uh, Christ has enabled us to live out together in his church, in this context of community that we call the church. And, and so even though we want some practical tidbits, we need to know that being on the journey together, receiving all that Christ has for you in your life Means being able to dwell together in the community of believers, to be able to, to to move forward, to experience those transformational things, and what we need to remember is that ultimately, as we talk about structures in the church, it's all about the relationships. It's all about uh, the the being the people of God, of how we relate with one another through Christ Jesus. I was asked uh, last night if uh, I had a sermon planned for uh, love and relationships, and I kind of laughed when I said, no, I'm going to be talking about eldership, Uh, but at the the heart of it, it is. It is about love and relationships that we have for one another as Christ has set it up that we would experience the life that he has for us. So we're going to start with two verses in the book of Hebrews chapter 13, um, and then we'll move on to some other things From there. The first one is Hebrews 13, verse 7. And this is what it says speaking to the church, the group of people that this letter was written to remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. Now, one thing that we're to do with those who are leaders. Um, is that we are to remember them. Last week we talked about this, and if you didn't hear it, you can go and you can listen to it online or you can find it on the app where we talked about the fact that Jesus, after he uh, died and rose again and was ascending into heaven, that he gave gifts to his church. And those gifts were life-giving leaders. And he gave authority to those leaders. And the authority that is, as it says here, is based not on themselves, but based on the word of God. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, and understand this: what we believe here is that we have no right to lead outside of the way that the word of God leads us. The word of God is our authority, and there's been no authority given to us except that that comes from Christ and is spoken through His word. And so we are to remember those leaders, who what leaders, those who have spoken to us. The word of God and lead us in God's Word. Now, some of you probably ha- have said at different times that, okay, um, is a pretty young pastor, I'm 37 years old. For those of you that have ever thought that in recent years, imagine showing up 10 years ago when I was a 27-year-old uh, young pastor. Um, but the reality is this, whether at 27 Whether I'm 37, whether I'm 47, 67, however old that we are, know this, that our authority comes through God's word. So we always point back to the word of God. And so as we look at how the church is organized, again, it's not our preferences. We've come from all different backgrounds. Okay, we've come from backgrounds. Some of them have been good church backgrounds that were maybe led in different ways, Uh, Maybe they were bad church backgrounds where you got hurt in the process and you bring that hurt here uh, as well All that we ask and all that we want to do is to open god's word and and see What god's word has to say for us allow his word to guide us And like I said, I want you to have a bible So that you can go that you can pour through these scriptures so that you can check anything that we ever say here on a sunday morning We'll always come back to god's word If we read down to a a second passage in Hebrews chapter 13, this one begins with a word that is maybe a little bit bit hard for us. We were told already to remember your leaders. Verse 17 says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them, them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. We're called to obey and to submit to the leaders that God has put over us. Now, right away, some of the kind of defenses may, may come up where, uh, again, as, a, as Americans, we, uh, we revolt against the king. We buck the authority. Uh, we, we don't like the authority or, or we've been hurt by authorities in our lives. And so we have kind of this defense that comes up. Listen to what God's word says. It says this, every Christ follower has leaders that they are to follow. For every Christ follower, there's a leadership to follow. Now, the question that should come up for us, who are these leaders? Okay, the word of God tells us clearly, obey your leaders. Who are the leaders? Are are we supposed to um, kind of obey the pope are we supposed to, um, you know, there, there's a lot of churches out there. Which leaders are we supposed to obey? We listen to podcasts online. Are we supposed to listen to those? Pa- what leaders? Are we, is it the home church that you grew up in? What leaders? I, I believe we don't have the time to really get into this, but uh, that really this is a scripture that points to our need to be connected within the local church because of what this says next. It says, not only obey your leaders, but obey those who are watching over your soul. The guy that you listen to on the internet, he's not watching over your soul. There's no two-way relationship there. We are called to be in two-way relationship in the community of believers. And so um, your leaders should be people that you interact with. Um, Your leaders are people who, Watch over your souls. That's ultimately the work of Christ-centered leaders. And that as we encourage our leaders, it becomes an advantage to us because we know that they're looking out for our good or we're growing to understand this. But, but listen to this part as well. It says, they're watching over your souls as those who will give an account So every Christ follower is to obey the leadership that they follow. But for those leaders, there will be an accounting to give. I don't know um, how you receive those words, obey to your leaders. Um, But I'll tell you, the way that I receive um, the fact that I will one day stand, account before God. Because I'm a leader of his people. Now, that I woke up this morning um, just with a sense of awe. And even, even a sense of kind of bit of fear of, of the fact that as God continues to bring people to the responsibility that comes... That yes, God calls each of us to uh, obey our leaders, but for any who would step forward uh, as leaders, we are to lead in a way that one day we will give an account. Take it this way. Uh, Imagine I have four kids, and I, uh, maybe Valentine's Day, take my wife out on a date and leave them with um, the babysitters. And uh, I kind of give some instructions of, of how to care for them. How to take care of their needs. But when I come home at night, uh, they're not in bed. They're bouncing off the wall. They've been eating cupcakes. There's icing smeared all over their faces. They haven't been cared for and none of that's been fought. Now, uh, there's an accounting to be given to dad. And here is the reality uh, of pastoring. Not, not just for me, but any who would pastor and lead in the church of Christ. That we must lead in such a way that one day, we give an accounting to dad for how we loved his people, for how we cared for his people, for how we led them, guided them, watched over them, protected them. And and this is the reality that, that we dwell in. You see, yes... We're called to obey and to submit to leaders. But oh, to what kind of leaders? Those who lead in love as those who would give an accounting. There's this bit of tension uh, here that, uh, yes, you should be able to look at your leaders and say, I joyfully want to follow because I see the way that they love. I see the way that they care. they see the way that they watch over. And for any who would lead, um, this may not be a great call for leaders, but we better understand that we lead as those who will one day give account. So that's kind of a biblical truth that's there, that we always need to remember. Uh, We want to look a little bit at the leadership structure here in Discovery, and we put up a a diagram last week. I'm going to put it up again this week. Um, This is where it begins It's all under Jesus, right? He's the head of his body. He's the the cornerstone. It's all his. Um, It's all his. We are members of his body that are being built together. Now, you'll notice on here, there is a difference between church members and church attenders. Now, our desire is that every person, we're not just kind of float, float around, but that we would be in a place where we can care for one another, where we can know one another, where we can grow together because what scripture tells us is that that is when we experience all the life that Christ has for us. Yes, is the church filled with imperfect people? And I'll be quite frank and honest with you. A call to the church is opening yourself up to hurt. Every step forward I've taken part in the church Every step I've taken forward has increased the level of pain, the increase of hurt. When you open yourself up to trust, there is that. And I won't beat around because we're imperfect people. We still hurt one another. But we are a household of grace, where we extend grace, where we grow in grace, where we lovingly correct each other, guide each other, where we speak to both leaders and members alike. So we really desperately want you to be a part of a local church. If that's discovery, that's awesome. If there's a place that's closer to home to you, if you're passing through and one day we'll land somewhere next, but especially for those of you who will one day move and go elsewhere, find a church where there are leaders who love you, where leaders who will guide you in the gospel and look and watch over your soul. We don't just wanna float around. For those of us here, we want to be built into who Christ has called us to be. Last week, we also talked about kind of this next level uh, of of leadership. These are our staff and our deacons, both paid and unpaid leaders who their job is not to do the work of ministry, but it is to equip uh, people to serve and to be who Christ has called you to be. So uh, they lead you, they guide you in in God's word, they pastor and, and, and shepherd, they equip you to be who God's called you to be. We looked at that last week. Today, we want to talk about the elders, okay? The elders. Now, we don't always use that in everyday language, so what are elders? Um, there's two terms in the New Testament um, that are that refer to uh, elders and overseers. Uh, The first is the the word elder, presbyteroi, which refers to um, the level of spiritual maturity, okay? Not necessarily age, but age in Christ, that there is a maturity that that is there. Um, Another word is that for overseer, episkopos, that refers to the office of leadership, the responsibility of the leader to watch over the church, And so when we looked at this last week, we said that ultimately it's the church members that do the work of ministry. It's deacons and staff that equip and facilitate that ministry. And it is the elders who oversee the entirety of uh, the ministry. Okay, the ministry, the local church. That is what the elders do. Now, in the New Testament, we find this uh, in the book of Acts where it says that uh, Paul and the other apostles were going around there preaching the gospel. And it says this, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So the apostles, the, the, the ones that had come directly from Jesus, um, they're going around, they're planting churches, people are coming to Jesus, and, and they say, we need elders who will watch over and lead these people. They appoint the elders. Titus 1, Titus was a, a young guy that was sent to the church in Crete, and, and he was put there, it says, to put what remains into order and to appoint elders in every town as I directed you. First Timothy 3, which we'll look at in a moment, is also a letter to a pastor that says, hey, appoint elders. Why? Why? Because if you look at Titus, if you look at 1 Timothy 3, things were out of whack. Things were in chaos. The gospel was not advancing. And so kind of like on our road trip, we could have got directed to some other place. We could have just kind of been lingering. Hey, I still could be somewhere in Nebraska right now. Okay, if we went the way that our kids wanted to go. And if we stayed and we didn't stay on track. And so they're told, appoint elders. These are the men that are to carry you forward. What are elders? Uh, Elders always in scripture are found in a plurality. It's not an elder, it's elders. They serve as a unified group together. Really, God set that up that there wouldn't be uh, just one person rising to power. So, for example, the way it works here in Discovery, as lead pastor, I am one of the elders. I don't have ultimate authority. When it comes to authority, uh, the elders serve on an even plane. We serve as a group together. I have no more authority than any one of them. Now, I tend to be more visible because of, of gifting and because of my uh, role in preaching here. Um, I I tend to be more visible, so I tend to kind of be a point person. But know this, that I serve no higher, no lower than the elders here do. Another thing that we learn is that the elders are men. Men. Um, I don't have time to dig real deep into this. We've written a position paper that you can read online if you're interested in hearing more about this. But I just want to be aware of we believe what the Bible shows us is that uh, the elders are to be men. This has nothing to do with gifts or abilities. Okay, hear me on that. It has nothing to do with gifts and abilities. It has everything to do with God's design for his people, both in the church and in the home. We don't believe that this was a cultural thing that was shown. If we look at all of the Bible, uh, that we see that God has had a plan, that he has had a design for his people. And yes, there's a few specific scriptures that we can look to, but they always point back to creation, that it's not a cultural thing. Now, some of you kind of may kind of be Uh, you know, like saying amen inside. Some of you may be kind of looking at me funny right now. Um, And and what I want you to know, I could dive into this more today, I would, but um, I want you to read that paper and come to your elders, ask any questions. I also want you to know that come this fall, uh, if you stay on this journey with us, uh, we are gonna do a whole series based on personhood and manhood and womanhood and looking at God's wonderful design for his people. But for now, what we want to know is that according to the Word of God, what we see is that the elders in the church are men, um, but they are a type of men. They are a type of men under whom everyone, men and women, boys and girls, flourish under. And as we look at who the elders are, who are elders, we look at... uh, 1 Timothy 3. I'm going, to, I'm going to do three things uh, in the remaining of our time. I'm going to tell you who our elders are, what they do, and how they do it. And we're going to go through this really, really quickly. So you're going to have to look back at these scriptures. Uh, but, but I want to be able to cover these. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Again, Paul is writing to Timothy here and telling him, appoint these type of men to be elders in the church. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will they care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Now, I don't know how you read these, but as one who sits in that office right now, as speaking for our other elders that are here, uh, we look at this and it's like putting ourselves up there on, on uh, not kind of the authoritarian pedestal, but putting us out there to, to look at our lives. And the reality is as a church, we should look at our lives because these are the qualifications, the type of men that lead the church. So let's look at who they are. They have aspirations. Did you see it there? That elders are to aspire to the office of overseer, that's a good thing. Now, maybe you may think, well, of course, wouldn't wouldn't anybody want power? But that's not what we're looking at here. Eldership is not a call to power or authority. It it is a call to servanthood. It is a call to die to yourself. It is a call to carry the burden of watching over God's people as one who will give account. It's a call to sacrifice. if you don't see it there, listen, listen to this. In Matthew 20, Jesus called his disciples and he said to them, you know the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. Their great ones exercise authority over them. And he says this, it shall not be so among you with my leaders. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So for anyone who would aspire uh, to this place of of leadership in the church of Christ, it is not a call to power and authority. It is not a call to uh, receive gifts and special accolades. It's certainly not a call uh, to be paid because even though I'm on staff here, most of our elders are lay elders, and they serve you. They sacrifice for you without receiving anything. And so, for those of us who aspire, it's aspiring to realizing that we have such a great love for the church that we've experienced the grace of Christ in such a way that we want to lavish that on other people and do Christ's work. Is call it called say we'll die for these people? We'll sacrifice for these people. We'll fulfill what God has called us. To do, I'll lay down my preferences for this group that God has called us to. That's what we aspire to. Continue, and it says this: they are above reproach. That simply means it says there's no kind of glaring signs of sin or dysfunction. Are not perfect men by any means, not perfect by any means. However, we should never put an elder up here that everyone kind of looks at and says that guy. No way. You know, it should be above reproach, that we would hope that the church would be excited about the type of men that are put forward to lead. That we say, yeah, that is, that is one of my elders. I gladly want to follow after them. Continue, it says, they are one woman men. Okay, that, that phrase, the husband of one wife, it says that, um, that's how it translates, one woman men. So it doesn't mean that somebody has to be married to be an elder, It doesn't necessarily mean that someone who has been divorced is always disqualified. We kind of handle that on a case-by-case basis, looking at the circumstances. But what it does mean is that elders put their thoughts and their eyes and their heart towards the one woman that God has given them, whether that be the one they're married to right now, the one that they're looking forward to one day being married. They are one-woman men. They are temperate. Okay, let me help you understand temperate. That kind of means that they're not controlled by things. So you, you like good food, but you're not a glutton. And maybe every once in a while, uh, and those, we may have different thoughts on this, but uh, maybe have a, a little drink, but are not uh, becoming drunk. That their life is one filled with discipline. That you know when to put the golf clubs down and attend to your family. This is what temperate means. Okay, they are sensible, prudent, and reasonable. We have good judgment That we understand where we're weak, and we fully acknowledge that. We understand the strengths, the gifts that God has given, and we lead in those that we know ourselves. They're respectable and honorable in such a way that men and women look to them and have a respect for them. They're hospitable. This doesn't mean that we are all Martha Stewart's out there. But what it does mean is that we care for you in a way that says we want to have time with you. We want to host you. We want to welcome you uh, into our homes. We, we want to care for you in a way that is about relationship. And so we're hospitable on Sunday mornings when you can talk to us. We want to welcome you to, to know us so that we can know you. They are skilled in teaching. Able to teach is the way it says, which means not that everybody is a gifted teacher. Not that everyone will preach from stage but that we're able to look at God's Word and to explain and answer you from God's Word, not based off of opinions. It says that they are not addicted to wine. That one sounds like a no-brainer, but apparently it was needed here and maybe so close to wine country it is here as well. Okay, or are not a drunkard, not addicted to wine. They're not pugnacious, but they are gentle and they are peaceable. Uh, what this means is that uh, we don't want the type of men that are um, always looking for a fight. You know, say, yeah, bring me the conflict. I love to just dive into conflict. I-, I love to just tell people how it is. No, but we also don't want the type of men that are afraid of conflict. That when there are issues that need to be discussed and walked through, that, that will turn and we'll will face those things. We don't go looking for trouble, but we're not afraid to protect the church. They're not lovers of money. Money doesn't control. They're leaders of well-ordered homes. And notice what it said, that with dignity, they keep their children submissive. With dignity. There's certainly an undignified way of keeping your children submissive. But what we're looking for is that we would have a well-ordered home. that That our kids, we pray Would come to know Jesus, that we lead in a way where even though we're involved in church work, we're involved in our career, that we first look towards our family, manage our own households, again often imperfectly, but that our eyes and our hearts are turned towards where God has called us to first be and by so then we are able to lead in his household as well. They are mature believers Okay, we're not to appoint somebody who has just come to Christ because uh, the enemy, we have an enemy who loves uh, to toy with us. And, and there is something of maturity of going through life, uh, of going through different issues where we, where we struggle through, where we grow rooted in our faith more and more. They are mature believers and they have a good reputation even with the outside world. And I found this one hugely important because often we think, well, as long as the church people like them, but it's to be such the case that our neighbors, if they were to walk into the church today and look at somebody who is leading there and say, that guy, but that there would be an integrity in our lives. That if I walk on campus and I talk with my science lab, that they may say, man, that guy, he's, he's kind of a religious crackpot, but he is a man of integrity. They may say that. But we have a good reputation not just in the church but outside the church as well because we lead we lead in mission. Okay. That's a quick rundown of who they are. What do they do? What do they do? First uh, Peter chapter 5 if you turn over with me there. First um, Peter chapter 5 that's later in your New Testament. Are you still with me? I hope you are. I, I know... Um, I know there's a lot here that I'm downloading on you. We're almost there, okay? 1 Peter 5 says this. I exhort, this is Peter, okay? Peter, the follower of Jesus, writing. And he says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, who is Jesus, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. That's what Peter writes to the elders. And he gives us kind of three things that we do. Number one is this they govern, they oversee. They put the rules in place. Just to understand this a little bit, Jesus gave the great commission to the church to go and to make disciples of all nations. Um, Now, the New Testament provides some further instruction, but as we come here in Davis uh, today, um, that's not in the Bible, and so our elders are those who seek God's vision, God's direction for how we live out the mission that Jesus gave us of making disciples of all nations, of making disciples of the place where he's planted us here. And so there's lots of different ways that we can do stuff. And I'm not saying they're bad. I mean, some of you are familiar with churches that are, you know, have programs for all kinds of stuff. There's something every night of the week that's going. On. That's not bad. That's how they've chosen to live that out. Here we are pretty simple in how we carry out those commands. Sometimes you may even say, I don't see a lot on the calendar except for Sunday mornings and discovery groups and a couple other things that are put in there. That's how God has guided us. And as we talk uh, about discipleship in this next series, we're gonna lay that out, work through that a, a bit more. But what we need to know is that it's ultimately our elders who seek God. Again, this isn't a bunch of guys that put their preferences. This is how we want to do it. No, it's a seeking God for the vision and then boldly and courageously leading forward. Even though we know there's a lot of different preferences. And we want to hear those. You give feedback. You have ideas. But as all those ideas, you can imagine all the ideas that come. Ultimately, the elders hear those, lay them down. Our staff comes to the, the elders with kind of big ministry ideas. They, they have the vision for their own ministries, but it all comes under alignment, under the oversight of the elders. What else do they do? They do this thing called shepherding. Now, I don't know if we have any shepherds here. Most of us probably didn't even grow up on a farm. So, um, but this is a term, shepherding the flock, that Jesus used. Like John 10, he said, "I am the good shepherd." And what he talked about there was the fact that he leads, he feeds, he cares for, he nurtures. Now we've tried to look for different metaphors, right? like coaching or, or counseling or a teacher. Uh, and I don't know, if we understand and press into this idea of, of shepherding, of caring, of protecting along this journey, think of a shepherd. You can picture a bunch of sheep kind of coming together alongside, going from one place to the next, leading on that journey that God has called us to. There's dangers along the way. You need people who watch out for your soul that will help you, that will protect you, that will protect the church from people that will come in and teach other things and pull people away. And so we care for, we feed, we protect. You can think about that. Illustration a bit more. Finally, they're teach, able to teach, or doctrinal men who know how to divide God's word and know how to practically apply it in our culture today. And so um, we teach in different settings. We are the ones that guard the doctrine of the church to make sure that we stay on track with God's word in a culture that is difficult to navigate. And so as you go through life and you're being tossed back and forth by the culture. Your elders should be men who can help you to find solid footing in the Word of God. How do they do it? Just quickly. Eagerly. 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 I was going on a date with my wife tonight. I better go on a date with my wife tonight after If I were to look at that and say, shoot, it's Valentine's Day. I got to go out on day. I guess I'll make the reservation and we'll go and I kind of just sit there and go through a conversation. I mean, that wouldn't be very good, would it? It's the same thing. If we wake up and look at the work of the church and say, oh man, these people are so burdensome, they wear us down, they've always got questions, it's Sunday again. That's not, that's not eagerly, right? You get the point. We are to eagerly, joyfully carry out the work, even though it's hard, go through it and go into it. We are to do it by example. That we are to lead the way. And elders should never ask the people of the church to do something we're not first willing to do ourselves. So if we say, show up at 8 o'clock to help set up, you need to know that your elders have been doing that for years. If we say, hey, we've got a big budget to go after this year, you better know that your elders are leading the way, prayerfully leading their families to how we lead the way in making that happen. If we're saying, hey, go out, we're going after Easter this year and we need to be inviting our neighbors and inviting all to come in, your elders better be willing to do that themselves because we lead by examples. We're only worthwhile imitating if we are following Jesus. Finally, doing it committedly John chapter 10, where Jesus talks about being shepherds. Jesus says this, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand, cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the perfect shepherd, the only one. But he has given to his church under shepherds to care for the flock. Those are the elders. We do our work um, given an account to God one day for the way that we lead whoever he entrusts to us here in this place. We are to lay down our lives like the good shepherd did. And we do. I'm going to go ahead and put up a picture of our elders here. um, Just as we we begin to end here. Uh, These are men that um, I've been able to serve alongside that I know you don't know all of them. Uh, Many of you don't know me. Um, so this is just what my word is, is worth. But um, the, these are men that, that fit the, the bill that we talked about today, that love you dearly, that pray for you constantly, that gather together, that weep when we experience brokenness, that step into the hard stuff. Um, I feel like I, we look at this, this picture, it's too few too young, if I can add in there, too white. Too many J's. Too many J's. Thank you, Paul. All those things. And, and, and here's, here's the thing. We are always seeking and praying for more elders to step forward. Now, it's a big calling but God may use this message to, to put it on your heart, to ask questions, to think about now or in future years, that you may aspire to that calling. And we are here as other elders to, to help that happen. There's a process that we go through. Um, we, we'd love to see those increases quickly, but, but the bottom line, you don't have an elder until you have an elder, Okay. And, and so we have a process that we go through. If you're interested in finding, just for interest's sake, knowing more what that looks like, we'd love to, to talk with you more uh, about that. But well, these are who we ha- have right now, and I'm blessed to serve with. Justin Keneshoff, who who is a gifted man with numbers, is a gifted servant, has served in every capacity of the church here, lays himself out there has put himself out there, grow, seeks to grow constantly. Um, and it's a pleasure to serve alongside him. Jake Hozier, uh, who is just a man who just, bleed, his heart's on his sleeve because he's been so impacted by the gospel. He's such a talented man as well. He works for the university that develops programs and, and he's been able to bring that to the church. It's the skills that he brings, yes, but the heart is more so. And Jorge Garcia, Who, (laughs) thanks Dan, that's his wife. If a wife cheers for an elder, that is a good thing, okay? (laughs) Jorge served for a year and he pours his heart into the church. Now Jorge is on sabbatical right now um, because uh, several months ago he came to a place where he needed some time for reflection and refocus. His family went through some really um, difficult things. Um, and, and I know some of you may have questions about that, and we're continuing to pray through that, or walking through that in a very honorable way. Um, and so what I would ask for you, for, for the Garcia family, is continued prayers for them, okay? Um, because, and what I also want us to know, just on that note, again, we to just keep going forward, what I want us to know is more than the importance of having a certain number of leaders or a certain number of things, we care about the person and the family more. And so um, I would rather stand up and say, hey, these, this is all we have, um, and Jorge's on sabbatical, than to, to say, you know what, we're gonna, we just need to have numbers, we're just going to push through it. Um, and so, again, if you have qu- I know there's questions, uh, ask us. Well, I hope that in a few weeks you're going to have an opportunity to hear from Jorge and his wife himself, just sharing with you where they've been. And I tell you, I can share about a road trip my family went on. But I tell you, the way that they're experiencing God's work in their life, man, that is that's where it's at. That's the journey. So I just want to close today by um, just praying for for these elders, praying for all of us. You join me church if you're sitting near any of these families because um, their wives are, are in the mix too they're right there if you just put your hand on them these men and their families they sacrifice for you they, they serve you they give their time they give their tears they meet with you to to walk through marriage crisis They meet with you to help you navigate the scriptures. They meet with you to encourage you. Father, thank you for your church, for the incredible grace that we can experience. God, I can't even fathom us as elders putting this list before people and say, this is who we aspire to be. God, you've been so gracious towards us, towards our families. Thank you for entrusting us with your people, your kids. Jesus, I pray that we'd always be found worthy, that we'd always just lay ourselves out there. God, I pray for our wives, I pray for our families. That you would protect us, that you would hold us faithful, that we could lead this body of your people to be who you've called us to be. God is a wonderful journey. God, I thank you for the church that does pray for us, that cares for us, supports us, that follows us, that asks questions, that gives feedback, that has the hard conversations. God, we are a house of, of your grace where we all want to keep growing. We all want to keep growing. We want to we not be tossed by the waves of this culture, but we want to be your people, that we would be your church, God, that we would uh, declare your glory in not just what we say, but in what we do, that the outside world would look at us and they say, man, there's something going on there. God, watch over your church. Guide us. Thank you for your faithfulness. We need your grace anew today. And I pray that we would all find our place in the church, that we would come together to be your people, to declare your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.